about this landmine series, the series where we're, we're trying to just tell the truth in healthy ways about difficult things. And, and this week we're going to be talking about, uh, about a topic. I, when I started preparing for this sermon, I thought only one side of this topic was actually the landmine. And as I sort of unfolded it, I realized that probably both sides of it are the landmine. Uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about marriage and divorce. Now, you know, everybody loves a good, uh, a good wedding cake, and I found some really good pictures. If, uh, if you went to a wedding and you saw this cake, I don't know if you would give the couple, uh, you know, a great shot moving, moving forward. Uh, maybe your marriage looks more like this cake right now. Maybe you're, uh, again, not, not doing, doing so well. Hopefully it's not as bad as, as this. And obviously the worst picture, if you're dealing with this, then uh, <laughs> we don't quite know. Some of you feel that way. I can feel you going, I would buy that cake. <laughs> I would just lay it in my kitchen and be like, honey, I love you, but uh, this is where we are. And this is what's about to happen. Uh, this is exhibit A uh, when you're <laughs> in the courtroom. Uh, what I want to do today, since we're a church, like, like Brad said, look, we don't take ourselves too seriously, but we also try hard to tell, tell the truth. I, I'm going to bring the house lights up just a little bit here, and I would like to ask everybody who is able to go ahead and stand. I want everybody to stand for me if you don't mind. And we're going to take a little thing that I call the divorce quiz. Okay? Now, we're all friends here. There's no judgment except for the people that are next to you, so you're safe. Okay. If I say a statement that applies to you personally, I want you to take a seat, okay? If you have been divorced, I want you to sit down. If you are married to a spouse, maybe this is your first marriage, but they were married before and they were divorced, go ahead and take a seat. If you grew up in a divorced home, go ahead and sit down. If you have children, now my children are still too young to get married, so they're not thinking about divorce just yet. Um, they wish. Uh, if you have children who are divorced, go ahead and take a seat. Uh, if you are considering, no, no, I just uh, uh, this is not the time. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is not the time. Uh, if you have a friend, if you know somebody that's divorced. Uh, wh what you notice, what do you notice? Everybody is affected by this. Everybody knows somebody. This affects our lives in some way. It's something that 50 years ago we didn't really talk about. It was kind of one of those things that we whispered about. You know, you see that... that that woman over there, see, see that guy over there, he's unlucky. Now, if I, if I did a marriage quiz with you, now I'm not going to have you stand to do it again, but if we did a marriage quiz on the other side and I said, how many of you live fully every single day into your marriage? How many of you, when you read scripture, when God talks about what a perfect marriage looks like, that you say, that's me? I'm do he might as well have just said, Sheldon, you're doing all these things in your marriage. Every one of us struggles in our marriage. If, you, if you've ever taken any marriage class with us, one of the things that Haley and I say every single time 
is that people do not mean to get lazy in their marriages. They just do. Our commitments and our covenants wane over time. It's always amazing to me. We use this word in regard to marriage. We talk about people being faithful. There's only one other context that we talk about people being faithful, and that is actually in matters of faith. If you are a good employee, we don't say you're a faithful employee. We say, you know, you are a trustworthy employee. Or if you're a good friend, we don't say you're a faithful friend. We say you're a loyal friend. But when we talk about being faithful, it usually is these two contexts. One, the the beliefs that we have towards God. And the other one is the way that we are married. What we learn very early on when you read scripture is that marriage is a faith expression. Maybe put another way, marriage is a way that we live into our faith. It's a way that our faith becomes real for us. It's a relationship that's different from all the others, and it actually mimics and is very similar to the relationship that we have with God. There is a closeness and a partnership that a marriage has that the only other place that we have it is with us and God. Now, sometimes what we've done is we've talked about people that are unfaithful in their marriages. And I want you to know that being unfaithful in your marriage is not just about adultery. I know that's the way we've probably preached it or the way that you've heard it. But any time that, that we do not live into God's calling as a husband or as a wife, we are being unfaithful in a manner of speaking. As I was looking at, you know, adultery, that's kind of the one you know, the one back door that allows, allows you to kind of get out of a marriage. That's what the Bible seems to say, or that's what we've been taught that it says. But I've realized this, that adultery, while adultery has physical aspects to it, adultery is a spiritual problem. This is why when Jesus is preaching his first sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and he talks about adultery, he says, look, look when you're renting a hotel room, when you're sneaking around, yes, that's bad. But that's not where the problem starts. The problem starts way back over here when we open our hearts up and allow things like lust and and other things to enter our world. We're opening ourselves spiritually up to destructions in our marriage. Now, I'm going to make a statement now, and a lot of you are probably not going to agree with it, and I'm okay with that. I'm just going to make this statement, and then we're going to move on. I've heard people over the course of maybe the last five or ten years that say, Uh, You know, there there are these new rules that the government or that the empire, that anybody can marry anybody, okay? And that's what's destroying marriage. I want to tell you something. The new rules are not destroying marriages. We were doing a pretty good job before that came along. And I think people are very quick to say, well, this is the problem. And I'm like, no, this is not the problem. The problem is over here because we have not lived into the calling that God has given, given us as married people. We have not been faithful over here, and that's just an easier target for us to blame. Now, I'm going to talk about some landmines today. I'm not going to talk about all of them because there's way too many. But I want to talk about some landmines in our marriages, and then I'm hoping to speak something healthy and good into our marriages today. The first landmine in marriage, and this is undoubtedly over more than 20 years of counseling, the first landmine is communication. It's communication. If you've got a problem in your, your marriage, it's because you're being selfish and you're being selfish with your communication. What I tell couples is this. You've got to talk about everything. You've got to talk about money. You've got to talk about sex. You've got to talk about your mother-in-law. You've got to talk about all of it. What I tell couples often, twin, 
Hannah, you guys were there this week. I, I told you these things. You're either going to talk about it or you're going to fight about it. If you're fighting about it, it's because you haven't talked about it. And if you're, if you're over in the fight section, you need to tie a rope to that boat and you need to talk about it and pull it back over here. And you will keep, people we can't get over this, we keep fighting about it. Okay, stop fighting about it and start talking about it. Sit down and have a conversation. And be, be open with each other. There are two pillars in communication, and they are honor and honesty. We live in a culture that tries to sugarcoat the truth all the time. Well, I didn't want to hurt their feelings. Get over it. You need to hurt their feelings sometimes. Now, you need to be honoring with them and say, hey, I love you, and you are valuable, and I'm committed to you, but we got to talk about this. And hopefully as a church, I've exhibited some of that when I, when I share God's word with you. Say, listen, I'm going to try to honor where you are in your lives, but I'm going to tell you the truth. I don't want to lie to you and say it's all going to be okay and rainbows and unicorns and no matter what. You know, I want to tell us the truth. I want us to live towards the truth in our lives. And that means sometimes we've got to sit down and say, you and I need to talk about this. Not in a way that belittles you, but in a way that we need to have some honesty in, in the midst of, of this. The second landmine in our uh, marriages, I mean, uh, sorry, I'm jumping ahead, but um, what I was going to say is, if there is no honor in a marriage, the marriage is dead. If we do not learn to honor each other and respect this other person, we're not being faithful in our marriage. Some of you may need to go home and say, we've got to have some honest conversations. The second landmine that we get into is, I am the authority, or you are the authority in your marriage. I can solve that with a truth that is just two words, peace. God is the authority in your marriage. When we stand before someone, a group of people, and we say, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, sickness and in health, to honor and cherish, that's what we say to each other. We realize that we are not the only people in this room. That when we stand there with God and our friends, we are saying, it's the three of us together in this, and we lose sight of that. God is the authority in our marriage. God invented it. God gave it to us. God is the one who blesses it. And when we get off track, it has more to do with us and God than us and our spouse. And we have forgotten who the authority is in our marriage. Third landmine, and this is a good one, and you usually find this with people that are maybe been married 10 or 15 years, we think that marriage is about being in love. But we're just not in love anymore. And my response is, and? Did nobody explain this to you? If I just don't feel the same way about this person, covenants really don't have a lot to do with how you feel. Do they? We're so wrapped up in how we feel all the time that we got to feel good. Look, guys, I've been married almost 15 years. I know you've been, some of you have been married a lot. There are days that I look at Haley and I just think, oh, I need to get out of here. And then there are days <laughs> you know what I mean? We're married, right? There are days where we struggle. 
what we have to realize is this. Marriage is a choice. I wake up every day and I got to say, it's you and me. I'm choosing you and you're choosing me and I'm imperfect and you're imperfect, but we choose each other. You know, a lot of times we think that it's about being in love. Could there be any greater partner in life than God who loves us completely and yet we still struggle with our faith? That's why another truth is faith is a choice. When we wake up, we say, I am choosing to be a person of faith. Faith is a choice that we live into every single day. And if we don't choose that, that, that path, it has nothing to do with God not being perfect or this partner in faith not being good enough because there could be no better partner than Jesus Christ. And yet we still struggle with our faith. But every day we wake up and say, today I'm going to make a choice to follow. Today I'm going to make a choice to be married. Today I'm going to make a choice to be, this is you and me together no matter what. The last landmine, and I think a lot of us in this room maybe struggle with this, in, especially in the context of church, the landmine is, well, I'm divorced. <laughs> I've been divorced before. I can't be good enough. How can I ever do anything great? And there was so much stigma. How many of you that maybe went through a divorce in your own life or were children of a divorce or had a child were ostracized by a church who treated you badly? And I want to tell you, I want you to hear from me today, I'm sorry that the church did that because the church's primary response should be to love people, not to judge and ostracize people. It's just what we do. We don't mean to. It's just our natural nature. And we have to back up and say, this is not the calling of God. And maybe you even walked away from faith for a while because you said, when I really needed these people, they were gone. And I want you to hear a word of redemption today that just because you've been divorced does not mean that you are a bad person or that God can't love you or that you're just going to live this mediocre life moving forward. There is a word of hope today. Now, it's always a good idea for us to go to Scripture. And I'm going to read out of the message today, not because uh, it's the best translation, but because I like the way that, 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 that the words are about this. And I'm going to read two passages to start. The first one is going to be in Matthew chapter 19. This is one of those passages where Jesus is actually asked about divorce, straight up. And he answers them. And this is maybe a passage that you've heard preached at you. And then we're going to read another one, and then we're going to try to redeem it at the end. So hold, hold with me here as we do this. But Matthew 19, beginning in verse 1. Jesus has just finished teaching about forgiveness. Okay, let's just keep that in mind. <laughs> he said, when he had completed these teachings, he left Galilee and crossed the region of Judea on the other side of the Jordan. Great crowds followed him, and he healed them. Probably not just physically probably mostly spiritually. One of the Pharisees, uh, one day the Pharisees were badgering him. Is it legal for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Jesus answered, haven't you read the Bible? That the creator originally made man and women for each other, male and female. And because of this, a man leaves his father and mother and is firmly bonded to his wife Becoming one flesh, no longer two bodies, but one. There's Jesus' first clue. Part of the problem in marriage, people don't leave and they don't bond. Because God created this organic union of the two sexes. No one should desecrate his art by cutting them apart. They shot back in rebuttal. If that's so, why did Moses 
give instruction for divorce papers and divorce procedures. Jesus said, Moses provided for divorce as a concession to your hard-heartedness. But it's not part of God's original plan. I'm holding you to the original plan and holding you liable for adultery if you divorce your faithful wife. Now, not your unfaithful wife. You divorce your faithful wife and then marry somebody else. I make an exception in cases where the spouse is committing adultery. When the spouse says, I don't want to be married anymore. I want to be out there. I see this all the time. People say, well, I missed my college years, and now I've been married five years. I got 1.5 kids. I want to party. I don't really want to be married. I want to be single. I want to live the single life. And you have friends like that, too. He says, if those people just want to get after it, you've got to kind of let them go. Jesus' disciples objected. If those are the terms of marriage, we're stuck. Why get married? Jesus said, not everybody is mature enough to live a married life. I know you're thinking about your spouse right now. Just think about you, not them. It requires a certain aptitude and grace. Marriage isn't for everybody. Some from birth, seemingly, never give marriage a thought. Others never get asked or accepted. And some decide not to get married for kingdom reasons. But if you're capable of growing into the largeness of marriage, do it. You can hear what Jesus is really saying. He's not trying to build a case for the outs. He's saying, you've got to try to be married because this is what God desires. This is what God wants. And if you've made choices, he wants you to honor those choices. Now, if you're married to somebody who is just out there and really does not want to be a part of it and really doesn't consider you as a partner in any way, obviously there's just some natural things that says, obviously it's not going to work out. Jesus is not saying, hey, just go and, and do whatever you want. He's saying, as long as it's up to you, try to be faithful, try to be good. But if it's not up to you, if this other person is just running away, sometimes you have to let them be. Now, part of this theology is tied to the book of Malachi. Here's one you probably heard in church as well. This is the I Hate Divorce passage that we've all heard in church somewhere. It's found in Malachi chapter 2. But listen what, what Malachi is sharing with the people in the context of this. Beginning in verse 13, it says, And here's the second offense. You fill the place of worship with your whining and sniveling because you don't get what you want from God. He's not talking about what we're doing here in corporate worship. He's giving us uh, an insight into this. This is the temple of God. This is not, this is the place where God dwells. What he's saying is, we're not using this right, and we're getting upset because we're not getting from God what we want. We're being selfish, and we're being immature. He says, do you know why? It's simple. Because God was there as a witness when you smoked your marriage vows to your young bride. And now you've broken those vows, broken the faith bond with your vowed companion, your covenant wife. God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. I love that verse. Everything in your marriage, God has a place in. And what does he want from marriage? It happens to be the same thing he wants from faith. Children of God, that's what. So guard the spirit of marriage within you. Don't cheat on your spouse. I hate divorce, says the God of Israel. God of the angel army says, I hate the violence of dismembering of the one flesh of marriage. So watch yourselves. Don't let your guard down. Don't cheat. It's a call to faithfulness. 
Now, you might say, so now God hates me because I got divorced. That's not what the text says. The text is talking about the brokenness that we experience. And one thing that we learn if we read, read the pages of Scripture is that God likes to use broken, the broken people. He likes to use brokenness the most. That's where God thrives. If you are fixed and you've got your life together and everything's perfect, God doesn't have a lot of room to work. I'm not saying you need to be broken so that God can do more. But that's what he uses. But I want to turn now, and I want to tell you a word of inspiration to our marriage. In my opinion, Ephesians 5 is the most powerful passage that Paul writes about marriage that the church needs to hear. Listen to these words today. It all hinges on verse 21. It says, out of respect for Christ, be courteous and reverent to each other. What that means is this. Instead of looking at your spouse and finding fault, look to God first. And make sure you get that, that line of sight right first. It will change the way that you look at them. If you're resentful in your marriage, which a lot of people get to, it's because you're staring so much at your spouse, you've stopped staring at them. Get your focus on Christ right, and the rest of it will take care of itself. He starts with wives, and this is not in order of who needs to do things. But he says, wives, understand and support your husbands in the way that you show your support for Christ. Do you see how he's bonding marriage and faith together? You've got to act like your husband is Jesus. husband provides leadership to his wife the way that Christ does to the church, not by domineering, but by caring, love and support. The word cherish means to love with priority, huge, detail. So just as Christ submit, uh, so just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Then he talks to the husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, the bonding of marriage and faith in the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. She needs flowers. She needs to go on dates. She needs to be pursued. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring out the best in her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness, meaning she is different than anybody else in your life. You've got to love your wives more than you love your kids. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives, they're really doing a favor for themselves since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses their own body, do they? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me 
is the way Christ treats the church. Provides a good picture of how each husband should treat his wife. Loving himself in loving her. And how each wife is to honor So what's the word of hope <laughs> for us today? Maybe, maybe you're here today. Look, I, I'm not naive enough to think that every marriage in this room is going to be fine. I wish it was true, but it's not. I don't hope for that, but it's a reality that's all too common. I want to give you a challenge today, and it's not a hard challenge. The challenge is you need to start where you are. Maybe you and your spouse are at odds. Maybe you're just days away from talking to lawyers. I tell you what, wake up the next week and both of you read the part that applies to you in Ephesians 5. And just do that. And when you get to the end of the day, you're going to know that you didn't do it perfectly. When you go to bed at night, you wake up the next day and you try to do it again. If you want your marriage to grow, give God your priority. Get this right first. And when you have those eyes fixed on him and you look at your spouse, you will see them differently. I know some of your marriages are barely hanging on. And all I want to share is hold on a little bit longer for the sake of Christ. Because he can redeem anything. It's never too far gone. Now you're going to have to show up. You're going to have to change your behavior. You might have to give some things up. You might have to do some things differently. But you can hear Paul's earnest plea to these people. He says, stop seeing your spouse. Start seeing Jesus in them. And follow that. And grow that in them. Guys, step up. And love your wives well. Women, be great champions of your husbands. And God will be glorified in our marriages. And it will make us do faith together. And the faith will grow our marriages. Which will in turn grow our faith. Which will grow our marriage. You get the idea. Go home and talk about it. Sit down and say, I love you. You're valuable, You're valuable to me. I choose you. But you and I have to have a conversation about something. It's been bothering me for five years or ten years or five minutes. But we need to talk about it because I'm committed to you and there's no way that we're going to get through this unless we talk it out. Now that's what Jesus does with us. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> when I struggle in faith, he doesn't yell at me, point his finger at me. He says, I love you, Sheldon. You're missing. I need you to see. I've got great plans. I want you to find them, and I want you to miss them. Take off, take off the glasses of judgment. Put on the glasses of forgiveness. Open your heart. Get me in my rightful place. And it'll change everything. I believe God will. You maybe came in today and you've already planned the fight you're going to have after lunch. It's up to you. I'm not saying that we don't need to fight about this. But start where you are. Leave different than when you came in. And God will honor our marriage. Father, today, 
I just pray a blessing over our marriages. I pray, God, that even though we are imperfect, that we would recognize our imperfection. God, that we would know that you, <laughs> you meet us where we are every single day. And may we, may we not live in a world of shame about where we've come from. May we take hold of what we can be in you. May we take hold of who you're calling us to be. And God, if we're angry at our spouse today, may you give us hearts of forgiveness. May we soften our hearts. May we, may we just pray right now and say, God, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to put you first. I'm going to pray for my spouse. I'm going to give you, you my first and my best, and then they're going to be next in line. I'm going to honor them and cherish them and love them and talk to them. And God, we're going to be broken together. And you're going to do something powerful that we cannot do by ourselves. So God, I just pray that you would keep the enemy away. If there are sins and mistakes in this room, God, that we would cut those ties, that we would say no more, that we would turn our hearts to our spouses, that we would love them well, that we would love them in faith. God, that you would put your arms around both of us. But God, at the end of the service, even though most of us sat down because we were in a category, as we stand at the end to sing, may you let us know that we can be confident in our faith and in our marriage because of Jesus. And it's in his beautiful name that we pray. And the church together says, amen. Let's stand together.